Hello, 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 good day, and welcome to another episode of After School History. I am, as always, your genial host, Anthony J. Ashitino. And today, <clears throat> there are quite a few things which I need to talk about. And so we're going to kick the next part of World War II back, just for a little bit, just for a little bit. But there's been so much going on uh, recently in uh, Los Estados Unidos, in the United States, that I felt... I would be remiss if I didn't touch on these topics. Doesn't mean we won't get back to World War II. I certainly will. I know I've, I've gotten some, some very positive feedback about those episodes. And I mean, believe me, I, I really enjoy talking about well, anything in history, um, especially a massive event like that. But there are some things I think are a little more pertinent. World War II is not going anywhere. Okay, it's not going anywhere. So first of all... Um, as a quick reminder, because I know there are some people, uh, actually many people listening to my podcast who live outside of the United States, and I thank you very much for that. Uh, we're in over 20 countries now, and I love it. I love it, and I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for your uh, listenership. And uh, please continue telling people and, and continue listening to me. I'll do my best to continue, bring, to continue bringing you um, really good podcasts here. At least I think that they're good podcasts, so then hopefully with more people listening, you do too. Anyway, um, if you haven't listened to some of my podcasts before, you forget about it. Um, we're talking about the election. The Democratic Convention's going on. They're going to nominate Joe Biden, and uh, Kamala Harris is going to be the vice presidential nominee for the Democratic Party. Republicans are as of they're, – they're still going with Trump. There's some talk that Trump might decide to ditch Mike Pence. Um I don't know if this is going to happen. I wouldn't bet the house on it. But in any case, um, <clears throat> I wanted to talk just briefly as a reminder. The United States has a kind of funny system for electing our presidents. Um, in, in most cases with the United States, we have pretty much direct democracy. So, for example, um, if I go out and someone is running for the House of Representatives uh, in my state, in my district... All states are divided into districts, some with more than other. Depends on the population. I will vote for that person. If that person gets more votes than anyone else, they win. No runoffs, anything like that in this case. Um, they, and they become the representative. A senator is a statewide position. And again, it's simply uh, you know, whoever gets more votes, they become the senator. But the president is not like that. The president is elected by individuals called electors. I know, it's a tricky tricky uh, name there that they gave them. And those electors are, in theory, appointed by the party which wins the popular vote in the state. Let me give you a quick example here. So let's say state A has 30 electoral votes. What that means is every state gets two senators, and then they get representatives based upon how many people they have. It's divided out in the United States. So if one state starts getting more people, then that state's, the number of representatives that state gets will go up. And if a state loses people, it'll go down. Um, if you want to look this up online, it's really easy. Look at New York State versus California starting in like 1900, and then go on. I mean, New York used to have by far the most electoral votes. 
now today, it's California. Uh, why? Because what happened was people started moving out to California. Also, states like Florida um, used to have very few. Now they have quite a bit. Texas, the same way. Um, and so that's why things like the census in the United States are so important because the census literally determines how many people live in the state and that determines how many representatives you get. And, you know, obviously the more representatives you get, the better, I mean, as far as you have more of a say in the way things go. And, you know, obviously, even in a state like New Jersey, where I live, there are parts of New Jersey that are more conservative. They usually elect Republican sen- uh, Republican representatives, the districts. Uh, other districts represent, uh, elect Democrats. So, in any case, if a state has 30 electoral votes, they have 28 districts, 28 representatives, and do two senators, Okay. So what happens then is you have the election. And in the election, candidate A wins the popular vote in the state. What that means is that the state, let's say it's the Democrats that win. So 30 electors go and cast their ballots for, in this case, it would be Joe Biden in December. And that's what happens. Now, There are a lot of debates about do electors have to vote for the person that they're supposed to be voting for. If I'm an elector, could I go and all of a sudden say, you know what, I've had a change of heart in the last month since the election. I'm going to cast my vote for, uh, you know, Andrew Cuomo. Um, The courts have pretty much ruled that electors have to be faithful, but there's still something that's being debated. I don't want to get too much into it right now. Um, The courts, I then have to read up a little bit on uh, the latest court rulings on this stuff to really find out exactly what the things is. Because as always, the courts make decisions and then it's like, yeah, but then in this case, in this case, in this case. But here's the really interesting part. And this is where, with all the stuff going on right now, uh, we find it fascinating. On a technical level, the state legislature can determine the electors that get sent. What does this mean? Well, what this means is the following. If New Jersey, which has a majority Democrat legislature, okay, the state legislature, if it decided, you know, even though Trump won the popular vote in New Jersey, which is not going to happen, most likely, I mean, that would be really surprising. But if they decided, you know, Trump won the popular vote, but the heck with it. We've decided we're going to send Democrats to vote just because we think there was an anomaly. We think there was a a problem with the election. There is a legal case for that, okay? There was that discussion about doing it in Florida in 2000 when uh, the debate was going on about what happened down there. It turned out to be a moot point because the Supreme Court halted the a recount, and then uh, Al Gore decided, to, rather than to continue fighting on, uh, to concede for the betterment of the country. Now, in the United States, I believe there's 26 legislatures controlled by Republicans right now. You could have a situation. Now, I don't believe this is going to happen. I'm just bringing it up because why not? In the United States right now, all bets are off. And if anyone tells you they know what's going to happen in politics in the United States at this point, uh, they don't. 
Trust me, <laughs> they may have an idea, they might be right, but they cannot, it's not like the old days where you could say, look, this is what's going to happen. Theoretically, what could happen is Donald Trump could lose by 200 electoral votes. Donald Trump could lose by 10 million popular votes. However, if there are claims that the election has been tampered with, which he is making these claims, uh, every day now he's claiming the election is going to be rigged, it's not going to be a fair election. Uh, in fact, the other day he said that the only way the election's going to, that, that the only way he would lose is if the election was rigged. These are his words, not mine, okay? So now you have a situation where if it got tossed into the courts, it went down, could the states possibly then say, well, you know what? The Republican legislatures are going to uh, appoint their guys and uh, we're going to send them in there and that's going to be that. Yes, it could happen. I said, I don't believe that's going to happen. I think that the more concerning issues, many of you have probably been aware of the issues we've been having with the United States Postal Service lately, um, shutting down post offices, uh, taking out the mail sorting machines. The president has a very real problem with mail-in ballots. Surprising because he's used them multiple times in his life. Uh, but he's making this issue, this argument that mail-in ballots will increase fraud. Uh, the counterpoint to that is many states in this country, in the United States, have used mail-in ballots. And a mail-in ballot, by the way, is simply this. You get, a, you get a ballot mailed to you. You fill out who you want to vote for. It's got a barcode on it. You have to sign the back of it. And then you either mail it back using the post office or there are particular places where you can drop off the ballots. Ballot boxes, usually in some kind of a town, you know, the, the center but or, or at the... Um, elections committee uh, commission. So this has never had a problem. Okay, I think you've had something like sixteen fraudulent cases since nineteen eighty four. Which, out of the billions of votes, I mean, again, you have a better chance of being struck by lightning a couple of times walking home today uh, than you do of encountering voter fraud uh, with that. And also absentee ballots. Absentee ballots are different, and here's the difference. Um, an absentee ballot is a request. You have to request an absentee ballot. You say, listen, I'm going to be on a business trip. I'm going to be, you know, in, uh, in, in Tokyo during the election, but I want to make sure that I, I vote as is my right. So they say, okay, no problem. Here's your ballot, you know, um, and you fill it out and you send it back in. Really, the only difference is our absentee ballots are usually you have to make a request for them and you have to say why you're not going. Um, some states don't allow you to just vote by mail if you're going to be in the state. They, they, if you're going to be there, they request that you do it in person. But many people have argued that Trump's shutting down of the Postal Service, which he just appointed one of his big donors in charge, is a direct effort. And in fact, he said as such that it's an effort to stop this mail-in voting, which he claims is going to completely rig the election. I will say this that if we look at historical voting trends, when more people come out and vote, Democrats tend to win more. When less people come out and vote, it goes the other way. Republicans win more. So it's not, I mean, from a political standpoint, I, I hate to say it, but, it, you know, statistically and historically, 
if you want Republican victories, you want lower voter turnout, okay? I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm just saying that this is what the, the stats show over time. Now, the argument that some people try and make about the Postal Service is, well, it loses money. And yes, it does. It loses money. It loses over a billion a year, okay? But here's the counterpoint to that. It's not meant to make money, okay? The Postal Service is not a business. I mean, if, if, uh, if Johnson & Johnson were losing a billion a year, the shareholders would have an issue, uh, it would be a problem because that's a company that's designed to turn a profit. They like to do good things as well, but businesses are designed to turn a profit, okay? That's economics 101, all right? I always teach, when I teach economics, I always tell kids, you know what, if a company can do something nice, that's great. If they want to donate money to charity, if they want to try and cure cancer, everything's wonderful. But the number one obligation of a company, as far as especially when you go public, is to make money, okay? That's why you start a company. So, the second point here is that you have institutions in the United States that lose money and no one has a problem with it. For example, we don't expect the United States military to turn a profit. Nobody's expecting the Army, the Navy, to turn a profit. But, but should we say, well, why are we funding them? No, we're funding the military because we like the security that the military affords us. We like having the, the top military in the world. Schools, another perfect example, public schools, again, not meant to be a business. Okay, There is no immediate return on investment. The return on investment is that when you have a more intelligent populace, you're going to get these people, young people, that grow up, and they eventually start their own businesses. They go into, you know, the sciences. They go. They become historians. Uh, they do all this other stuff. Why? Because they got a good education. So your investment is for the country for the future. You want an educated population. You don't want a bunch of dummies running around. And that's why you spend that money. Now it stops in the United States. It stops at the twelfth grade. Uh, if you want to go to university. But even then, there are different ways you can apply for grants and scholarships and stuff because the, there's a value to having, a long-term value to having that, okay? To having an educated population. And I, that's just from an economic perspective. We haven't even gotten into making good choices about, you know, who we elect and policies that we pursue. You want people who know where certain countries are you know, so that when you start talking about, oh, God, you know, can they, uh, can they hit us? It reminds me of a time when I was studying over in Egypt and uh, someone was telling us about how they were there during the, uh, the Gulf War and their parents were panicking. And they were like, oh, my God, can you see the bombs being dropped in Iraq? And no idea that, you know, Egypt and Iraq are not next door to one another uh, and you cannot see. That would be like <laughs> another fun Example, I, you know, I could go on and on with these. Another fun example, I had a friend uh, who came to visit, and she was from the United Arab Emirates, which, if you know, is a very, very small, uh, very small country. And so she was visiting me in New Jersey, and she says, oh, she goes, so I have a, this other friend who lives in a, a place called Texas. I was like, oh, that's nice. And she goes, oh, okay, so, what, you know, could we maybe, like, drive there? And visit him, 
And I was like, um, what do you mean drive there and visit him? I was like, you know, like a, you know, 15, 18 hour drive. She was like, what are you talking about? And then I had to, you know, show her the map. And she wasn't, she wasn't, she was a very intelligent uh, person. It's just that, you know, there was this kind of didn't know, you know, where every state was. And I'll tell you what, most Americans have no idea where, where the majority of states are. If you got a map out for most Americans right now, most U.S. citizens, and you gave them a blank map of the United States and said, you know what? I'm going to give you five minutes. Just start labeling the states, okay? They would get a couple of them. Hopefully they'd get the one that they live in. They like, like a Florida, Texas is usually, you know, California, um, New York, a lot of people know that. Other man, people don't know. They just don't. They're so, I, I say ignorant, not in, a, in, a, in the pejorative sense. They just don't know it, okay? So there's, there's a big issue with that. Um, and that kind of, that kind of brings us around to why it's not necessary that the post office turn uh, a profit. The post office exists to help, uh, spread information, to allow people to send and receive information, letters to one another. I mean, today, yeah, we have things like email and texting and stuff, but there's still a lot of stuff that has to be sent by regular mail. And there's still a lot of people that feel more comfortable having things sent by regular mail. I mean... You know, the older generations are not all tech savvy. And to take things away from them, to delay the amount of time it takes for them to get stuff. Also, there are things which you just can't send. Try sending medication over a text message, okay? Or an email. Yeah, you can't, okay? Uh, You know, it's silly, but it's true. And if you're delaying this stuff, if you're delaying the receipt of medication to people that need it, I mean, I might be able to go a day or two without my latest Economist magazine if it's coming in a little later. I'd be like, oh man, it took, you know, instead of getting it on a Friday, you know, I got it on a Saturday. That's one thing. But if I need my medications and I'm not getting them on time, that's a major problem. That's a major problem. And like I said, the military has used absentee ballots for years and years and years. You know, uh, if, if you're not in the States... Why should you have your ability to vote taken away? You should not. You should totally be able to. And that's why we have these things. And absentee ballots are no different than mail-in ballots. The, the only difference between the two is that absentee ballots, states that require, you know, absentee ballots require a reason. I'm not going to be in town. You know, I'm going to be in Afghanistan fighting for your freedom, that kind of stuff. So we've gone with that. Um, one of the other major things, because this is coming up in another couple of weeks, it's actually starting in other places in the United States. You may have been hearing about this. Teachers and school startings. What's going to happen? Well, that really comes down to, first of all, the state. Uh, in the United States, it's not a federal education. It's a state-by-state level issue. So uh, New Jersey can decide we're going to go completely virtual if we want. And New York doesn't have to. They could say, no, we're going to have in-class. Right now, most districts are doing something on the lines of what we call a hybrid system, meaning that they're going to try and do some in-class and the rest of it they'll do virtually online. Uh, You know, every state that's basically had kids report back to school, it's been pretty much a disaster um, students have gone in. The problem is that many students are asymptomatic, 
or they're going places and they're coming in and, and all of a sudden you have an outbreak here, you have an outbreak there. Uh, we need to quash this virus. We need to really do everything possible. And, you know, teachers are naturally concerned. I mean, you know, we are exposed every time we go into school uh, to, you know, hundreds of children. Some of them might show symptoms. Some of them might not. Uh, but uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is, is this. You know, teachers get into teaching because we love everything about it. Well, not so much the meetings, you know. They, 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 they can, uh, and having to submit things like lesson plans. Don't tell anyone I said that. But teachers don't get, you don't get into teaching to become rich, Okay. Uh, you don't get into teaching because it's glamorous. You don't get into teaching hoping that somehow you're going to, you know, hook up with high-connected people. Next thing you know, you'll be starring opposite Kate Winslet in a new drama, all right? You get into teaching because you really enjoy working with young men and women. You enjoy education. You enjoy educating them. And if you don't, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. you. It's the wrong profession for you, Okay. We want to be in the classrooms. That's another thing. You know, working, everyone's, oh, you get to work from home. Oh, lucky ducky you. No, most teachers I know, the overwhelming majority of teachers I've ever worked with in my life, they want to be in the classroom. There's nothing that's a substitution for being in the classroom. Okay? There isn't. You just don't get the same, no matter what, even though you can do things online. I know, you know, and we're going to, just because it's for safety's sake. You know, uh, but it's just not the same. And so I really think that people, instead of doing things, I mean, in a district out here uh, where I work, you know, there was a major thing. I mean, CNN had us on and it had down 400 plus teachers refused to go to work. And, you know, CNN and, and, and if you li- if anyone from CNN listens to this, uh, no, that was a bad that was a bad headline. OK. Nobody's refusing to go to work. What happened in our district was that uh, the superintendent of schools, along with the Board of Education, said, they sent an email that said, if there are teachers with pre-existing conditions, and they listed pre-existing conditions, who feel that they need to work from home rather than come into school because catching COVID for them might might mean that, you know, they, they could have a really worse you know, shot at things, okay? If you have emphysema, if you have asthma, serious asthma, and, and you get COVID, you're going to be in for a world of hurt. You might not make it, okay? And I know some people that have not made it, people that I used to work with, other teachers, all right? Uh, you know, it's nothing to fool around about. So there was no refusing to go to work. Nobody is refusing to go to work. The district has been extremely accommodating. I would say probably more accommodating than almost any other district that I know of, okay? It's a fantastic district, really. But this whole teachers are refusing to go, I mean, it's bad enough that so many people have this negative view, this low view about teachers uh, in the United States. You know, we're, we're just babysitters. We're overpaid. We get the whole summer off. You know, and again, these are people who probably couldn't last two weeks actually teaching. It is not an easy job. Not if you care. And like I said, overwhelmingly, you're talking about 99% of the teachers I've ever known care about teaching. All right. 
and go in there every day. They do their work at home. They spend time at home preparing things, planning. They're dealing with so many different things. I mean, for crying out loud, especially you're teaching middle school, high school. I mean, gee, you, you don't have any idea how much different stuff you're dealing with. Students want to talk about relationship issues. People are finding out who they are. You know, you have to be very careful about things because even though you want to talk about certain stuff, it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe you need to talk to guidance or the nurse or this or that. But I mean, you know, the, the bottom line is that we really care about them. And so all of this, you know, that we're refusing to go to work or that we don't want to work, I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. Even the teachers that are going to be working from home, in fact, it's actually more work to teach from home, okay? It, it is. I know that that sounds crazy. I'm telling you, it really is. It's more work. And I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but if you really, if, if you have questions about that, like I said, listen, DM me on the, the Instagram, as you know, it's at Antonius Optimus. Um, you know, hit me up and, and let me know or send me a message via Anchor. Um, I will be more than happy to talk about, you know, why we have these issues. But, you know, stop trying to paint teachers like they're they're looking to take advantage of situations. We want to be back in the classroom. We want the students back in the classroom. That's where the learning occurs. But I will say this. It is not worth dead children to force this thing, to rush it. Okay? It's not worth it. It's not worth one, okay? And at the end of the day, that's what politicians and, and everyone, parents, I know it is really, it, it, it can be painful, you know, having children at home. Some people that, you know, have jobs where they're working and they can't, maybe they can't afford a babysitter, they can't afford to be home, the children are young, they can't just be like, okay, you know, let me uh, put this person, you know, you could take care of the other kids. Uh, it, it is. It's really, it's It's not a fun situation. But unfortunately, we have to do it, okay? You know, throughout life, we get into situations where it's like, look, this, nobody wants this. Nobody wanted it. No one's happy. But we have to get through it. And we can get through it. And we will get through it, all right? It's a matter of time. Right now, I just feel we're so on demand with everything. We wanted the virus over. It's like, God, it's already been oh, March to freaking August and still got the virus. <clears throat> yeah, and, and it might be a while longer. If we're smart and if people do things, wearing masks, social distancing, not having 400-person house parties, like some of these, I like the term knucklehead that uh, Governor Murphy of New Jersey uses. It's, it's very diplomatic. I have other words I would use to describe these people, but I, I won't. This is a family-friendly podcast. But yeah, that's, that's where we're at. And we can beat this. So please, if you have a teacher uh, in your life, people that, that you know are teachers, don't, don't give them grief. You know, I mean, you joke around with them if you're on that level about getting to work from home or something, but... You know, like I said, I, I could tell you, uh, I would much rather be in the classroom. Uh, I do have, uh, you know, the people that know me, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, I do have a pre-existing medical condition uh, where, you know, I've asked to work from home. I will, I will be working from home. And like I said, I'm already preparing stuff because it's going to be much more difficult to work from home and give my students the same uh, amount of work by me, not for them, the same amount of, 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 you know, as what I would do when I'm in the classroom. 
You know, I mean, because like I've said before, when I'm in the classroom, I'm that, I'm that teacher who's, you know, jumping off of tables and, and running around, all with good cause, you know, the jumping off the tables, reenacting the Lincoln assassination, you know, and other things, um, you know, just making, making class fun. And that's what the teachers that I work with, they're all looking to make things fun. We're always talking to another, to, you know, how can we get students more into this or into that, because they care. So, and yeah, you, you know, you go find that one teacher who doesn't, whatever, uh, you're, you'll find someone who doesn't care in every single profession you'll ever find in life. But for teaching, I think it's, it's, you know, people call it a calling, a vocation. Okay. Uh, and I think that it is that some people are just designed to be teachers. They're just really good at it and they, they enjoy it and they want to be there. So, um, anyhow. That was, uh, that was what I had planned on talking about today. Um, if you are in the United States, I beseech you, please do make sure, A, you're still registered to vote. You can contact your local uh, uh, county, um, the, the Board of Electors, call them up. I'm still registered, right? Yes, here you go, okay. Uh, if you have concerns about being able to get to the polling stations, and this is especially if you live in like a city where I live, I'm not really worried about uh, getting there. I go and I have to wait maybe five minutes, maybe 10 at most. But there will be situations now, especially because in some of these polling stations, not only is it overcrowded, but you have a, a lot of people don't want to work the polling booths because usually you have people who are retired working the polling booths. You know, they're like, okay, I've got the day. I can, you know, show up early and stay. But they don't want to get infected by COVID. They don't want to be exposed to it. So you're having in some of these places, they're going to be understaffed, overworked. Um, you know, if you, if you need to get the mail-in ballot, and send it out this week. Don't delay. Don't put it on the countertop and say, I'm just going to, you know, I'll get it out eventually. Send it out ASAP. And, uh, you know, and then you can check. In most states, they have a thing where you can check up on it and find out uh, if, you know, that when they've gotten it. They'll tell you, yeah, we've, we've gotten your, your mail-in ballot. Um, whoever you're voting for, whatever you're doing, you know, this is this is not saying things one way or another here. Just just get out and vote. Make your voice heard. Um, you know, don't don't be one of the millions that will sit back and, and not vote for anything. So anyway, if you have questions or concerns uh, about this podcast or anything else, please do feel free to contact me uh, whenever you get the chance. Again, I am on Instagram after school history. Uh, at Antonius Optimus, uh, you'll be able to find me pretty easily. Put up a daily Instagram about what's going on in history today. Uh, today, um, 100th anniversary of the passing of the 19th Amendment, which guaranteed women the right to vote in the United States. So bravo, well done there. It only took 180 years more than it should have, but no, that's sometimes that's what happens, but we got there. Um, other than that, I'll have another uh, post up probably later this week. Uh, I'll do more of the World War II. But as always, if there's something you are interested in, please do uh, fire it on over to me. And in the meantime, keep on listening and, uh, and let other people know about this if you enjoy the podcast. I will talk to you all soon. Please be safe, be smart, and be well.
Bye-bye.